So Gary, do you remember the board game Legendary that we used to play in college? That game was the bomb. It was so freaking good. Yes, there are many versions of this game, but the game that Gary and I played religiously was the Marvel version, and I had the opportunity to break it out for a new friend, and we played two rounds. It was great, and I love it, And but we did not break the villains one because he was just learning. But for those of you who don't know, it's a deck builder game, but there's no like going out and buying decks like Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh or Magic. The deck is already within the game, so it's very easy and it's very fun. And it's Marvel themed and there's all these different heroes and villains and characters and whatnot. And you work as a team, but Gary likes to pick the characters who give everyone wounds because he's a douchebag. I, I love to do the ones that screws over everyone else in the game because you're kind of all working together to destroy this figurehead villain. But I just love to be a dick while I'm doing it. Which is why the villain's version is the better version for Gary. Because the only person that really messes you up in the normal base game is Hulk. But we played this game all the time in college. Yes, we were dating women. And we'd be like, sorry, babe. We have to, we have to go save the world. It was definitely this thing where... After InterVarsity, all the guys, which wasn't a lot, like four or five of us, would get together and we're like, we're going to play Legendary. And we would play to very late hours of the night, stupid hours of the night, where we would get screaming matches over if random Marvel characters doing certain things. It was a lot of fun. Something I hope to do again. Guys, we're Pod Wars. I don't think we actually said that in our Book of Boba Fett podcast, which is fine. We, we did, and we're definitely rusty right now, because we've been off for a few weeks here, bro. We have. And this podcast was supposed to be a special podcast. It's still going to be a special podcast, but we were going to go see Spider-Man No Way Home together, and then watch it, and then come back and record it immediately. But Gary being Gary prevented that from happening. Yes, I got um, COVID, the uh, Decepticon variant, and it's it's not been fun. Um, I recently just ate both a cookie and a gummy vitamin, and I'm having them fight it out to see who wins. Anyway, COVID is a serious thing, and we're sorry if you are really struggling with it, but Gary is, a, <laughs> Gary is healthy and uh, is feeling good enough to podcast. So, But we are going to talk about spider-man no way home i'm super excited about this i had the opportunity to see it opening night and the following night and was took everything in me to not spoil it for gary and evan but i did a very good job something that everyone must know about me as you know, people who listen to this podcast is that my friends know if you do not plan to see a movie the opening night or opening weekend you will most likely not see it with me or I'll have already seen it and I'll go with you just because I love seeing the movie and I love hanging out with you. But Gary knows that very you well. You bought those tickets like right away and I'll send you things about how people are reselling opening night tickets for Spider-Man for like two grand and you're like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> uh, that experience was worth it. Yes, I I have this weird thing where I sleep where for some reason I wake up at three in the morning and then I like fall back asleep. But that's night specifically. I, I knew Spider-Man tickets went on sale. I was like, Spider-Man. And then so I bought tickets for both Thursday and Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I saw it on Christmas Day because we did the family thing on Christmas Eve. And 
it it was dope. Like I I love the movie experience of seeing Spider Man. Let's let's dive into it a little bit here because we were both worried going into this film just because the expectations were incredibly high. I don't think expectations have, for a movie have been this high since. Well, I'm gonna say Last Jedi or Endgame because my expectations were so low for Rise of Skywalker. That might be different for you, but with the Last Jedi or Endgame, like my expectations were extremely high, and Endgame definitely surpassed them. Last Jedi was all right, uh, but I <laughs> I would say that I also I'm not like a Last Jedi head, Jedi hater. I'm just saying like it went in a different direction that I wasn't expecting. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, No Way Home exceeded expectations by beyond all belief yeah i'd say it's closer to the last jedi because endgame like it had expectations to be epic and it was epic but like the last jedi had arguably unreasonable expectations as far as epicness concerning returning characters and that's kind of how i felt going into spider-man the difference is spider-man actually lived up to those expectations like i think the expect when i was going in i'm like all right even if toby and andrew don't show up i know that's a huge endeavor to get all these actors together and create a good storyline but they did it like they freaking did it yeah so i was thinking about while when i thursday night i do have to say the experience as amazing as it was huh amazing spider-man um it, I was still very nervous because I was like, I just want the movie to be so good. So Friday was a more enjoyable experience for me, but Thursday was still great. Um, but there was definitely a part in the movie where it was so good what was going on and Toby and Andrew hadn't shown up yet where my thought was, okay, they're probably not going to be in this movie. That's totally fine. And I'm extremely enjoying what I'm getting at this moment and I am okay with that. And I felt like very proud of myself that I was able to recognize that while watching the movie and still enjoy it. But then they showed up, so it was even better. Yeah, I I think that it, it the movie was set up to, in a really really tough spot. Like fans, basically, we we even put out a little poll. Like a large amount of fans came into the movie thinking if Toby and Andrew aren't in it, we're going to consider it a, consider it a failure. And that's a huge endeavor to ask a studio to do because, um, one, you have the hurdles of contracts and Sony. And the two, you have the hurdles of getting these actors to just agree to do it. And that's a, that's a lot to get together. Yeah, I was reading an article with uh, Amy Pascal, who does Sony's, basically Kevin Feige's version of, of her Sony um, or position. And she was saying the toughest part was going to these actors and saying, hey, like, we have this idea. And then they'd be like, great, let me read the script. And she'd be like, no, it's Marvel. You can't. And that was like the hardest sell for her, which if as an actor, maybe it's different. I wouldn't I, I like I sorry, not if I was the actor is a better statement. I would have been thinking it's Marvel. They probably know what they're doing. Sure. Sign me up. I want to make a lot of money. Yeah, but like that's like not even just Toby and Andrew. Think of all the people you have coming in there, you, like William Dafoe, Alfred Molina, Jamie Fox, all of them. That's a lot of people to get to step in line, contracts to get in line, schedules to not conflict, and fans on the other side are basically saying, "If this doesn't happen, we'll be incredibly disappointed and hate it." 
Like that's that's beyond TLJ level of expectations. And I'm just surprised they crushed it. Right. And I think they did a really good job of not the, the trailers didn't spoil things either. It would have been super easy for Sony just to put the three of them in there in a trailer and ruin the moment. But I don't know about you, Gary. Thursday night when you know Andrew first walked through that portal, my theater was erupting. Like it was so loud, it was end game level loud when the portal scene. Like there's this I specifically remember there's this guy who I when I'm gonna be honest, when 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 Ned was looking for Peter, I didn't see I thought it was just like I thought it was I thought it was just him. And the guy immediately in this crowd just started screaming and I was like, Why are you yelling, man? And and then this like we saw the suit and everyone just erupted. And then he took off the mask and it got even louder and people were standing on their feet. Like it was insane. Those TikToks that you see where people were screaming, like that happened in my theater. And then it got even louder when Toby walked through. And I was just like this is happening and I was crying and I'm not lying. It was, there was many scenes that I cried in, but that was one specifically. Yeah. And it just, that moment was incredible. It wasn't as much calamity when I saw it. Cause at that point people already kind of, most of them kind of knew going in. I avoided the spoilers, but I'm like, I could tell by the internet not being in outrage that they clearly are in it. You know, I could tell by the lack of things online that, okay, they're in this movie. Right. Now, like, but let's let's take a little step back, though, dude. I, I want to talk about the signs of that. So, like, we're, we're talking about how Marvel really locks everything up nice and tight, but they definitely spoiled some signs that Toby and Andrew were in the film. Well, I think Marvel does a very good job. Sony does not. Like, I think Sony mm. does a very poor job where... I'll give you a prime example. In the Venom trailer, the first Venom movie, when the best scene probably of that whole movie is when the Venom suit comes on Eddie and he says, we are Venom, and then eats the guy. That was the best scene, and they spoiled that in the trailer. That is, like, classic Sony trailers. And... It sounded from, you know, I don't know how reliable sources are nowadays, but it sounded like there was a big, huge argument with do we show it, do we not show it? And I think Kevin Feige stood his ground, and I think he did the right thing. He definitely did the right thing. Because they could have, you're right, it could have been a lazy thing if they break the internet by showing one little clip of Toby, but it was worth it for that reveal in the actual movie. I'm thinking more of like, okay, a lot of people have seen the video. If you haven't, look it up. Uh, in the trailer where the lizard is punched, clearly punched by nothing. Like, that's a big time editing mistake that they missed. And that's not, that wasn't, that was like the Brazilian Twitter or, you know, account or whatever who posted that. That wasn't main Sony, you know, America trailer. That was the Brazilian trailer. So I'm sure someone lost their job. Somebody definitely lost their job on that one. But the other thing that I thought was incredibly impressive, and poor Andrew Garfield. So he was spending the last year um, kind of propping up his newest film, Tick, Tick, Boom, which is, I believe, about the writer of Rent. And it's like this musical film where he's starring in it. But the poor guy in every interview about his film was asked, so are you in Spider-Man? 
So you in Spider-Man? So you in Spider-Man? He had to lie like crazy over the last year. Uh, my friend Dakota sent me a video, and it's just a compilation of all the times that he lied. And I just feel bad for him because he you could tell he was clearly getting frustrated. One, because I have not seen it yet. I plan to. Uh, but the movie Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, it sounds phenomenal. Like it sounds like he did a really good job, but so not only can he not promote that, but people are so more focused on that, and he has to keep on lying. Like that had to be exhausting. Yeah, like because they they threaten major things with the non disclosure agreements, and on top of that, he has this film that apparently was pretty good that he, he just can't promote because everyone's asking him about Spider Man. Right. So, all right, Gary, give me a short overall thought on what you think of this movie. So the way I'd sum it up is it's fan service done right. It's, it's not something that's like filled with layers of complexity or, well, even though we're going to overly make it overly complicated in our analysis because we're nerds and that's what we do, but it's simply fun fan service, but in a way that doesn't feel cheap and cheated you know like a lot of times they have fan service in these different properties and the fans feel a little cheated like okay all you did was put in this character so you can get a quick buck out of it but you didn't actually create a fun experience this time they did and just i i have utmost respect for how they're able to pull that off in a way that is still a fun story is still tom holland's story and is worth just every ounce of expectation. Right. And we'll get into this more, but just, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, I have other questions that I'm not, actually I'm, I'm going to think about how I want to say this first because I don't want to like talk too much about it, but I, I thought it redeemed multiple series, multiple characters uh, from the past and in the current, you know, Marvel movies. I thought not only was it, you know, emotional but there was just like the action was very good the i thought the acting was great tom put on a perfect performance personally um so i just overall thought it was a really good film maybe there are some plot holes but i'm willing to look past those minor things because i thought the like i left that movie so overjoyed and so happy that I broke out my PS4, which I haven't played in 10 months, just to play the Spider-Man game, just to get that same high, because that's how mo- great that movie was. It, it, you just left there with that feeling of, I watched a Spider-Man movie. That just fun and excitement part of it. All right, so we are going to do some breakdowns, more kind of analysis. We, like, we're going in with the idea that you guys have seen this movie, so we don't want to just like talk the whole thing but the first thing i do want to kind of bring up is the daredevil stuff and we might talk a little bit of a hawkeye but not not too too much mm-hmm. um so i personally knew th- going in, like you haven't seen hawkeye but i have mm-hmm. so when i thought marvel did a phenomenal job with this when hawkeye came out that wednesday they spoilers for King- hawkeye yes they teased kingpin with a picture and so in my head i was like okay daredevil's probably gonna be in this movie like i'm not gonna like be upset if he's not but the fact that they you know he was in kingpin was in i wouldn't be shocked and so 
yes, I was shocked in the scene that he was in, but I wasn't like overall shocked that he was in the movie, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, but I, but again, when I saw, so I saw it Thursday with my mom and a couple of our other friends. And when that's, when his, you know, blind person stick, that was so not the right word for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh my goodness. I am so sorry. Whatever. When that like came down, I freaked out and I was like, fuck yeah. In the middle of the theater. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, um, and then he like sat down and he's like, I'm a really good lawyer. What all that kind of stuff. Anyway, both people so both, like, to to stop your train of thought here even if you did know the real name the real name doesn't sound politically correct either it's called the white cane okay yes either way um yes the the, the, the ada stick i don't i don't know anyway uh when that came down i freaked out and then like my mom and like uh the guy that you know came with us he was like who's that and i'm like daredevil and then everyone else kind of like freaked out too so I, I thought it was, I even thought that cameo wasn't bad. Like I thought that was a nice little teaser just for Daredevil. Like they didn't do too much with it, but they didn't do too little. Like they showed that he had powers, but they didn't, you know, try introducing his whole MCU, you know, origin story. Yeah, it was just enough of a fun little taste because it's been it's been brought up. It's not out of nowhere. It. Uh, again, to to reiterate, they have the fun cameos in a way that doesn't feel cheap. And this was definitely just another fun one that can expand on the on the MCU. I don't know if this what this means as far as the Netflix Daredevil series, how much of that should be considered canon or not. All we know is that the same actor, uh, Charlie Cox, correct, is going to be yes. in now the Daredevil for the MCU. And I just love that on its own. Yeah, the, I mean, the Daredevil TV show probably is the best live-action TV show, Marvel-wise. Like, even better, better than the Disney Plus shows, better than the other Netflix shows. It's just phenomenal. So if you haven't watched it, I highly encourage you to check it out so you can get more info on this character. But we are not here to talk about Daredevil. We're here to talk about Spider-Man. And there's some. there's a lot that you could talk about in this movie like it was two hours and 36 minutes i think it was a long film but the difference was it didn't feel long like i okay so when i say that like yeah it's a long film i went and saw house of gucci and that film felt forever like i can like think about all the times that i looked at my phone thinking how much longer is this movie because it's not that good but spider-man had me on my edge of my seat the whole time um so why don't we just talk about some of the interactions with uh, Peter and Dr. Strange? Yeah, so when Peter meets up with Dr. Strange, obviously he's there to change up how everyone knows that he's Spider-Man because it's screwing over him and his friends. Now, this is kind of similar to a comic storyline, the One More Day storyline. And this is this is a story that is pretty controversial amongst comic book fans, especially Spider-Man fans. To give the little brief synopsis, essentially Spider-Man changes a lot of the a lot of the past so that Aunt May can live, but his relationship with Mary Jane is entirely shot. And he makes a deal with Mysterio to do this. Um, Mephisto. With Mephisto, sorry. Yeah, he makes a deal with Mephisto after Doctor Strange doesn't really do it for him. So it's a similar kind of feel, except not involving Mephisto. 
but the main thing I took from that was that the MCU is taking a storyline from the comics that is inherently not that great and not that well received by fans, but revamping it in a way that's more interesting and actually really fun. The thing about like the way I thought about the whole Doctor Strange stuff is he's still a dick. Like Doctor Strange in the whole movie, like, you know, telling Peter to call him sir or, you know, just like Scooby Doo this shit, whatever he said. Like he's just like he just seems off the whole time, which I felt was really interesting. And the other thing, I don't know if you noticed this, but when he tells Peter that he broke the spell like six times, Peter only mentioned five people. So that means Doctor Strange chose also to keep his memory of, you know, Peter Parker as Spider-Man as well, mm-hmm. which I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was cool. I thought that was actually kind of sweet that he wanted to still remember Peter as Spider-Man. Doctor Strange uh, Doctor Strange is kind of coming off like a dick, but that's sort of his thing. And it's more of the, like, when you're an ass to, like, your friend because they're your friend, that kind of feel, where you're like, okay, he's being an ass to Peter because he loves Peter. Um, not in the, like, I'm done with you kind of thing. Right. And the other thing that... I loved while watching this and it kind of felt like it was like a callback to into the spider verse and the comic books is when Dr. Strange sends Peter like splits his body, like in the astral plane and like his normal thing, you got to see the spider senses and Mm. you also got to see his spider senses still active. Even when Peter isn't thinking about it, which I thought was cool too. That was cool. It shows that it's some inherent instinct separate from Peter. Um, but taking a step back to, okay, so Doctor Strange can apparently change the memories of everyone on Earth. And I saw a bunch of stuff online mentioning how, the, is this a possible plot hole on why the hell didn't he just change Thanos' memories so that Thanos doesn't want to destroy half the universe? Okay, so the thing that I'm thinking about is, I it hasn't been confirmed, but... I think the spell only pertains to people on Earth. So Mm. if Thanos, like I think with Thanos and his army, they would have to be on Earth for that spell to work. And I'm not sure that Doctor Strange could perform it. I'm not, I don't know, maybe, because like there's there's theories out there that Captain Marvel, Nick Fury, you know, Monica Rambeau, people who are off Earth are still going to know who Peter Parker is as Spider-Man. I, I definitely heard that argument. I also think that Doctor Strange as a character has times where he's really OP, but the caveat is always, oh, it's at risk of something else, something else that we don't know about. So you can always find a rationale for Doctor Strange of, oh, he couldn't do this because of so-and-so risk. So it's not a huge plot hole, but I get why people were a little turned off by it. Well, then you, I mean, we'll get into this later, but it, what you're talking about right now definitely leads into that posting credit and you know multiverse of madness so yeah and there's there's some some legitimacy to it yeah and we know from what if too that in the doctor strange episode they mentioned absolute points and how him becoming sorcerer supreme is an absolute point probably thanos's snap is an absolute point that he can't change no matter what without screwing over the entire universe right and another thing about the snap that I just kind of want to throw out before uh, we move on too far is I saw a theory that people were saying the reason we haven't seen Daredevil in the MCU is because he probably got snapped and that's why 
Hawkeye became Ronan to take over fighting all the crime like hmm. under LA. I think that's an interesting thought. Um, one other thing from Doctor Strange and his story uh, before we move off of that into the villains coming in, but they mentioned how Doctor Strange is currently not the Sorcerer Supreme because he was snapped away for five years. Now, I thought that was interesting because in WandaVision, they said that Wanda's powers surpass the Sorcerer Supreme. So at first when I was watching WandaVision, I'm like, oh, crap. Like, this means that she's stronger than Doctor Strange. That's a big freaking deal. But if this is right, that means the Sorcerer Supreme is wrong. So Strange can be more powerful than her or on equal footing with her for going into multiverse madness. Well, are we, so are we just going to talk about multiverse of madness right now? Or do we just want to wait to the very end? Because I have some thoughts. We're on definitely going to wait till the very end. But I just wanted to toss okay. that little nugget. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll save it. Hopefully I can remember it. Um, okay. So one of the things that I, I feel like we need to just kind of address because we always talk about it. The, the humor of this movie. Mm, yes. I thought the humor was actually decent. There wasn't really a lot of jokes. I don't know. I don't. I couldn't think of any jokes where I rolled my eyes or didn't like it. Like people legitimately laughed out loud. Even me when Andrew made that youth pastor joke, I thought that was hilarious. That was great. I think they captured. So they captured Spider Man's kind of humor really well because Spider Man's humor is that cheesy, like I'm a 14 year old kid kind of humor, even when he's an adult. So it fit his character and it fit him so well, fit the people around him so well. The humor was definitely on point. There wasn't any groany kind of humor. And if it was, it was in that like Spider-Man immature dad joke kind of way where you're like, okay, that's cute. And even Flash, who's not my favorite version of Flash out of all three of them, he still was funny. And like I like I he was a likable character in this movie. Um and DC reference, his book was called Flashpoint, which is about the main multiversal event with the Flash and DC Universe. So there's your little DC nugget. Why did you bring that up? Okay, anyway. <laughs> but I we we did have to bring up the humor because the humor was very solid. I my favorite was the youth pastor joke, and then also the joke of when they bring up Toby's webs, how they come out of his wrist, and they're like, Does it come out of anywhere else? Or just like the callback to him hurting his back in, in Spider-Man 2 and then Andrew having to crack it. Like, that was great. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. We'll definitely get more into talking about their interactions and that kind of stuff a little bit. But I want to ask you a question that isn't on the notes, so I'm going to randomly throw it out there. What mm -hmm. do you think of Zendaya's acting as MJ? I think she's become more likable as the films move on. So the first two films, she was leaning heavily into the I'm a loner type thing. I'm a loner who doesn't want to act cool, but also wants to be cool. And it was a little off-putting for me. Um, this movie, though, it was less of that kind of... I, I, I think of it more as a fake character. Where you're like, it, it's... It was trying too hard. This movie, she was actually acting like she came to her own. She became her version of Mary Jane Watson that wasn't Mary Jane, but was good and had great chemistry with Peter. So I 
I liked her the most in this movie compared to the others. She was less off-putting. She really came to her own, and she had actually good chemistry with Tom Holland. Thank you. I'm glad you said that because I had gone to see the movie with some friends, and the number one thing they said, like their main criticism, was that she didn't do a good job. And I was like, you're just jealous that you're not Zendaya. And <laughs> I thought she did fine. I, I liked her acting. I liked the lines that she delivered. Um, you know, she is that emo, you know, standoffish girl. And the whole time was showing like the, how she went from, if you don't expect anything, there's nothing to be disappointed about. Like I totally butchered that line, but essentially that to, we're going to kick ass when, you know, they go and fight the villains at the very end. Love that character development for her. And the, I want to save, you know, my emotions and feelings about when, Andrew catches her but even I thought like that emotional scene was still great in itself and then the last scene where Peter and her are, are are together you know and and like they're saying their goodbyes again thought it was very good I thought she made a she did a fantastic job of making me care about her relationship with Peter and making me actually sad when it kind of ended at the end of the film um For and sure. I and I definitely have been more in the critiquing her side for the last two films. I wasn't a huge fan. This film, I actually loved her performance. I thought she did a fantastic job. So, sorry, I really just wanted to ask that before I thought forgot about it. But I want to go back to the Peter-Doctor Strange kind of conversation that we were having. Mm, and yeah. so... My dad loves Doctor Strange. That's probably one of his favorite MCU movies. And he really likes the mirror dimension stuff. And I'm glad mm. that they brought the mirror dimension into this movie. I thought that added an extra fun element to it. And the part that really stood out to me is that I felt like in this movie, Peter became his own person. He became his own Spider-Man through various things. Like he no longer obviously like the way that the movie ended, but even before this final spell, like he was no longer iron boy. He was Spider-Man and he used math to figure out how to beat Dr. Strange. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Which uh, yeah, I adored that. He essentially to kind of flashback to the film. He saw the mirror dimension, realized it was an Archimedes spiral and use that to capture Doctor Strange. Now, I love that so much because I, I've seen a bunch of theories on this that essentially the MCU's version of magic isn't necessarily magic, it's science. And they're trying to create that, uh, that idea of intermingling of what's magical with what is just the amazing depth of the universe. And I thought that was a nice little touch toward that. For sure. Definitely love that scene. Um, and I thought it was a brilliant way of getting Doctor Strange out of the movie for a while. Yes. But that, was the, that was definitely the sole purpose of it because, you know, Steven wasn't going to be around the whole time. So how are you going to do that? You catch him somehow. And, and it was cool that it was Spider-Man. And I didn't even think of that, but that is a really difficult problem because if Doctor Strange was in that movie, it would have been done within five minutes. He would just press the button and done. Right. So the big dilemma for those of you who haven't seen it is Peter casts this spell, but keeps on, keeps on changing it. It causes like the multiverse to kind of open. And even though Dr. Strange is able to contain the spell, some of the villains and uh, other heroes came through 
those villains being from Toby's universe, you have um, Green Goblin and Doc Ock and Sandman. And then from Andrew's universe, you have... Why am I blanking? Electro, Electro and Lizard. Lizard. And then from whatever universe they haven't really decided, you have Venom as well. I'm assuming we're gonna, we'll get into that, but I have oh so many thoughts. Um, <laughs> Half of this episode is going to be us talking about what we're going to talk about. Right. We just want to like be able to give you guys enough of like a, all right, let's recap because you've probably seen it, but maybe forgot or whatnot. So Dr. Strange tasks the three, Ned, MJ, and Peter to collect the villains, send them back. And he also has like this box where you can, it's got the spell contained in it and you press the button and the, you know, spell goes away and it never happens and saves like the end, the movie could have been over in like five minutes, but why is it not over in five minutes? And I thought that it was perfect how they did this because the, literally the movie could have just been like Peter being like, boop, and it's done. Press the button. It's over. Cause there we'll get to the, I want to talk about the bridge scene, but I want to just like explain this really quick before we go back to that bridge scene. Aunt May has a conversation with Peter where she says, maybe we save like these villains. Like that's what we're on this planet meant to do. We help people. And that whole idea of Peter helping these villains is what makes the movie like continue. Like that's why there's like, not like a, like you're not second guessing. Why is this still happening? Cause that's like at the very core is Peter trying to help these characters who, you know, have tragic backstories. Which I loved that because all of these villains, when you think back on the films, are very tragic villains. Like, all of them start out close to Peter and then become these terrible people. So it's it's kind of cool that they brought that aspect in and will go through the whole <laughs> Peter and Aunt May development. But I think that this really is a huge part of making Peter more than just Iron Man Jr. Of he's getting that great power comes great responsibility kind of mindset and really getting his ethics put together as his own character, starting with, I save people. I'm not here to end lives. I'm here to save lives. Right, because he finds out that in each... Because at a certain point, he gets all of the villains in Doctor Strange's prisons... And he, they, as like they're talking, which again, like them all interacting is great. He comes to find out that these guys will all die when they go back to their universes. And, you know, Spider Man being Spider Man, Peter being Peter, he thinks he can save them. Which he does save a couple, like one of them, but, you know, or like without like getting into a huge fight. But Gary. I think we do a villains breakdown. So let's like walk through all the villains and kind of talk about like what our thoughts are, favorite scenes, you know, yada, yada. So you start with your first one. Yes. So first we have Alfred Molina coming back as Doc Ock on the bridge. And I didn't realize how long ago these films were. Um, so he was obviously in Spider-Man 2 with Tobey Maguire. This is way back in 2004, dude. And he, like, really, he just fits right back into the role perfectly. And he's coming in so menacing and cool with the arms. 
And his fight with Peter, I thought, was fun and interesting. It was used as a plot device to help basically not have his friends get taken out of MIT. And you get a nice interaction with the iron spider suit and his arms. They mentioned how in his arms have used nanotechnology from Oscorp in the past, and the iron suit is part of nanotech. So since they're similar-ish technologies, they just mold right together. And I just thought it was cool seeing him. Spider-Man 2 is my favorite of the Toby movies, so I was hyped about that. Yes, my first thought was this is the first time I have thought that the de-aging was done gracefully. You know, he's mm, yes. very much older, you know, you know, 20 some odd years does a lot to you. Well, not 20, um, but whatever. Can't math right now. I'm on, on, um, on air. Anyway, um, <laughs> he like the, it, it looked good. It, it did. And mm-hmm. also, you know, that this is the main fight that we get between the two. And it's very, you know, Peter being Peter, I think that's the thing that I'm going to keep on going back to, or Spider-Man being Spider-Man. He uses, like he's in a bad situation, figures out the Stark tech, and then is able to control his, like his, you know, octopus arms by using the nanotech. Saves the, I don't want to know what you call it, the Dean of Students. I don't know what her title is, but the, the lady that can help the three of them get back into MIT. And the fight itself is just entertaining. You get, you know, more, like Gary was saying, seeing the spider legs fight, you know, Dr. Octopus. I thought that would have been a really cool fight. It was. I also thought it was pretty intense. Like he does, like Peter does take some hits. And then you have, again, the great Willem Dafoe with the, but I think a really cool introduction with, you know, the bomb, it goes off. And then I also thought it's interesting that he gets like, before he gets attacked, he gets brought away to Doctor Strange. Yes, just so they can give a little taste of Green Goblin, because I think William Defoe and his deform- performance really shines above all the other villains. Yes, people are saying that William Defoe is the best MCU villain of all time, and is just as good as Heath Ledger, which. I haven't really given a whole lot of thought on that, so I'm not going to sit here yes or no, but his performance was phenomenal. Absolutely great. Can't give it like 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10, whatever stars you want to use or point system. So good. Green Goblin felt scary. He felt strong. I feel like in the maybe the first movie he didn't, you know, he he didn't feel that but when he's fighting peter in the apartment building and he's sending him through the floors and he's just throwing them and whipping him across he felt scary i was scared especially when mm-hmm. peter is standing on him or like has his like uh our legs wrapped around him and he's punching him and he's just like laughing maniacally such a good scene he was scary and at the same time you felt for him it was it was perfect he was Scary, but you also deeply wanted him redeemed. And that's a tough balancing act for an actor to do. Right. And so for those of you who haven't seen, why is he there? Peter goes back to their apartment. I guess technically it's Happy's apartment to use this machine that the fabricator to help come up with the different tools to fix all of these villains so that they're no longer villains and they can go back to the universe and be fine. 
But, okay, before we go into more of that kind of stuff, we haven't even talked about the entrance of Sandman and Electro. So these are definitely two kind of opposite sort of villains because Sandman is actually still on Spider-Man's side. He left in good terms in Spider-Man 3. Electro is the main one who's like, I'm here to wreck some shit and I'm going to love it. And they, I also do like that they have... Um, Jamie Foxx without the weird blue design, too. Did you notice that when he... So Electro has a very iconic suit in the comics. Did you notice that when he shot electricity, the electricity around his face kind of made it look like he had the suit? It formed the mask. Yes. Yeah. That was such a cool thing. And I I was just like, damn, you Marvel. Mm." The other thing that they totally did that, where I was like, damn, Marvel, why you got to be like this, was when Betty Brant in the very beginning is, you know, she's her camera person. That's technically Spider-Man's one of his first loves in the comics. And she says, go get him, Tiger. Like, that's, she said that. So, and again, it's just them doing a little ode to comics. And I was just kind of, like, shaking my head. I was like, this is going to be a good movie. And it was only, like, five minutes in, and I knew it was going to be great. Yeah. So, we have all the villains assembled. Peter's trying to gather them all up. He's gathered them all up for Doctor Strange. And we have the basically that clash like we mentioned over should he save him or should he not now a lot of this comes down to his conversation with aunt may and i think the aunt may storyline is what really makes tom holland spider-man his own character like well for sure he is like making her the uncle ben of his spider-man was in a fantastic choice right and and i thought that that scene where they're in the apartment and Aunt May's in there with all the villains and you have Electro's timer clicking and Peter's spider senses, which, sorry, like side point, the spider senses in this movie were amazing. The They felt very real. They felt like he's getting used to using them. They, they used it quite often and you could tell like just something's off. I felt uneasy in that scene and the, the, the timer's clicking everyone's kind of talking and trying to figure out what's going on. And then he, I think during that scene, he's trying to figure out which guy is going to attack him. And then he finally figures out it's green goblin. Mm, Yes. And we're going to definitely gush more in that scene too, but talk about him with Aunt May. So Peter's Spider-Man, Tom Holland's Spider-Man has been largely in the MCU and overall just living in Iron Man shadow because I think Spider-Man needs an Uncle Ben moment. Now, I agree with Marvel not wanting to do another origin story. I think that's a very smart idea, but having Iron Man die isn't his Uncle Ben because the whole point of that Uncle Ben moment is Peter realizing I have the ability to help people. I chose not to, and because I didn't, somebody I love died. And this kind of brings in that theme a little bit now with Aunt May of her saying, you have to help people, you have to help people. He didn't do his job well, and Aunt May died. He needed that tragic, imperfect hero aspect to really become his own character. For sure. And I was, honestly, I was kind of surprised that they used Aunt May as the uncle ben you know when she delivers the line with great power comes great responsibility which i think i said it wrong like she says it correctly in the movie people say it's one of those like no luke i'm your father like all those kind of things people Mm. always say it wrong anyway when she delivered the line 
I like emotionally just like became a wreck. Like was not expecting it. Totally loved it. Um, and then that scene where, you know, Happy drives up, Peter's crying. It it's just so emotional. Where I was, I just wasn't. I I wasn't prepared. It. I love that scene. I love that Green Goblin was chosen to be the main impetus for that, and just how that brought Tom Holland's character forward was fantastic. And I we so we talked about kind of like Electro and Sandman, and I want to just like mention it really quickly. We everyone was speculating that whole Spider-Man suit thing, the new black suit. Yes, it's just his normal suit inverted because he had to wear it inverted because someone threw a smoothie on him because he thinks that he's a murderer and killed Mysterio. I love that misdirect because I totally bought into it. I'm like, ooh, is this like a Doctor Strange Spider-Man suit? Is it the Venom suit? It was just inside out. Yep, and that was it. Was super cool how they did that. Um, and then they have the phone with Ned and MJ on it and he like taped it. I thought that was hilarious. Um, so we didn't, f- I guess we kind of talked about Sandman and lizard and electro. I just, the last thing I want to say before we really move on is that electro did a very good job. I think like how you said, he's not that blue character anymore, but I just thought Jamie for Fox per- like gave a good performance. I, um, you know, he was funny too when he's like talking, he's like talking about the energy and Sandman's like, Oh yeah, the apartment. And he, or like, and he's like, yeah, dude, the apartment. No, come on. Like, like let's be real. Obviously there's something new about this universe that I love. Um, Mm -hmm. the only thing that I was bummed about and you could really tell is that the actors who played the lizard and Sandman weren't there and they had a CGI them, them in. Yes. Which is why the Sandman is never in his human form. He's always as sand. Which, I mean, it's good that they at least got him to voice the character, but it was still a little let down. Yeah, and and they also reused some of the fighting scenes for Lizard and Sandman, which is fine. It, it like, it, like, um, in the Boba Fett episode, I talked about how some of the, you know, stuff took me out. This did not. I, I, I still enjoyed it thoroughly, even though I did recognize, like, hey, that, se- that looks familiar, but it, I still enjoyed it. Okay, now to get into the bread and butter. Toby and Andrew stepping on the scene with Ned opening up the portals. We mentioned how that was a mind-blowing scene. I want to throw this out there, and I've been seeing a lot more love going his way. Andrew Garfield really shines in this movie. I think that he's been largely considered the lesser Spider-Man, but he really shines in this movie. I saw someone say, when you give Andrew Garfield a good script, look what he can do. And I kind of feel bad now with all the conversations where I had people where I talked about how Andrew is such a bad Spider-Man because he's not. He's no, he's great. And I feel bad saying it. And so I got to admit it on here so that people like my friends who, you know, say like there's proof. I'm admitting it. He is a good Spider-Man. He did a great job in the movie. And two, his suit is just so freaking cool. Yeah. It, he he did a fantastic job. I think his comedic elements were great. He does. It, it was funny how he was being uber respectful to like Ned's grandma yeah. and everything. Peter three. He, he's a good Peter Parker. <laughs> I love that Peter three joke as it clearly a nod towards everyone concerning him the lesser Spider Man. 
maybe this is just me and the hard year that I've gone through, but I like super resonated with Andrew in this movie because when the scenes where he's like, I didn't fight anyone cool or I'm, I'm really not that, you know, that great. And, and Toby's like, no, you're amazing. And like, clearly it's a joke on him being the amazing Spider-Man, but at the same time, and he's like, we need to like up talk the, we need to like get away, like with the self-deprecating, whatever talk. I love that. And then, you know, just the, have i think we should just talk about andrew right now just the yeah. redemption that he was able to go through through this movie the character the 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 thing that i didn't so we knew that andrew was probably going to save mj because of the trailer that was the most spoilery thing of the trailer how are they were going to do it i had no idea but before we kind of talk about that the thing that stood out to me is when they picked up where he left off in Amazing Spider-Man Two, and he taught, and like he's still dealing with the trauma of losing Gwen, and you know talks about how he got rageful and angry and started pulling his punches. Because I don't think non-comic book fans know is that if Spider-Man didn't pull his punches, he would be murdering dudes all the time, and that goes into a fan theory that I'm going to talk about later. Anyway. He would like he like Spider Man would be just murking guys left and right, and so it's crazy to think that like he's still dealing with this trauma even though that movie happened what five or six years ago. I love that they still brought that in. I I do love how they brought that in, and it was genuinely moving when he saved MJ. Like I yes. I'm not even a huge fan of the Andrew Garfield Spider Man movies. I think they're only okay in my opinion. But I was really like touched by that scene well yeah and, and i saw someone like talk about how he focused on the leap and getting there than actually using his mm. webbing and when he like catches her I, i'm i'm like you know getting chills now just thinking about it but you know he makes sure that she's okay and then she makes sure he's okay and he's clearly not like he mm-hmm. he's just a wreck at that moment yeah that was that was an incredible scene i i I felt like I wanted to watch the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies again after seeing this film. And I think this is a perfect time that we'll just get into it. This movie made every single other Spider-Man live action movie better. It, it wrapped up storylines so well. Um, I'll give you an example for Toby. And this one emotionally hit for me on the Friday night when Toby meets up with Doc Ock. And if you... Like he's like you gotten older. For like clearly like like that's like him talking to Toby, but it felt like you know Alfred Molina was talking to the Spider Man fan in the theater, saying like you've clearly gotten older, and that that was emotional for me. Um, and I love his line as a callback to Spider Man Two of he's like like how are you like trying to be better? Right, exactly. Just just like which for Alfred Molina's character Doc Ock, like that would have been seconds ago. Or you know, a couple of days ago, where it's years for Toby, and so you know, Toby got his a little like you. There's definitely of a in this movie. Toby has learned, has grown, has you know made it through the trials and errors. Andrew is literally in the thick of it, and Tom is about to experience it. And another Toby redemption too comes in, and I we can talk about. Tom's part of this when Tom Holland is about to kill Green Goblin and Toby stops him because a lot of the Toby Maguire films are about his guilt with Harry about how he was involved in his father's death and in this moment Toby gets to save 
his enemy, but also his friend's dad. So you get some great redemption for both of those Spider-Men. Right. And especially the scene where Peter is somewhere crying, MJ and dad give him a hug. And then you see the two Spider-Men on top of like the top of the steep, the steeple. And then they come down and you have them talking about how, you know, Toby lost uncle Ben and he also lost uncle Ben and another friend he being Andrew and like Tom, Tom's performance. Oh, I can't. The, the one that gives me chills when I think about it is after Aunt May dies and he's standing in front of like a jumbotron of Joe Jenna Jameson, just like talking about anything that Spider-Man touches like ends up going awful and this water, like it's raining and he's crying. Like I thought that shot was perfection. It, yeah, it was so good, and I I do like seeing the occasional moments of Spider-Man when he is in that rage, just as that reminder of what he can do and how much he's actually reserving himself. And we'll just get into it right now. You see that rage at the very end where, because Peter, the Peters, come up with a plan to change their spider their, their villains before they send them back. And Peter clearly, or sorry, Tom Holland clearly wants to kill Green Goblin. And Toby's like, we're going to cure him. And even at the end, after they've saved the other ones, you have this massive fight between the two. And that scene, like, when he's punching the ever-living shit out of the Green Goblin, it was also scary. Like, I don't have any other words for it. Like, it, the rage, I felt that. And I hope that everyone else did, too. Yeah, it's... It's scary, but you feel for him when he's actually doing that scene because of how deeply tragic Aunt May's death was. Like, I had to remind myself as a viewer, like, okay, like, Osborne doesn't want to do this. Like, he's a victim as well. Because you're sort of like, do it, Toby. Like, do it, Peter. Just kill him. Finish him. He deserves it. And you have to remind how he is truly a tragic character. Yeah, and and you again, like you said, he save comes in and saves him, which is a great scene. And then, I personally think there had to be some reshoots because the Green Goblin stabs Tobey Maguire Spider Man, and I think they were gonna have him die. And I saw someone say that it would have been a better movie if one of the Spider Men had died, and I totally disagree. Eh, nah, because um, now there's potential for Tobey Maguire to come back as Spider-Man. There's potential for Andrew Garfield to come back. And we still have Tom's new trilogy that's coming up. Um, but there was a death in the film. Like, are you ready to talk about the tragic ending here, dude? The tragic ending of... Of with Tom Holland and yes. his Spider-Man. Yes. So, like, they did have a tragic element in the film. And it's not that Spider-Man died. It's basically Peter Parker died. Like, every element of Peter Parker and his former life is now gone, which is the classic Spider-Man move of him sacrificing himself as his persona as Peter Parker for the sake of everyone else. And there are some things that I don't think people really realize because of this. Like, for example, I have two. When Peter goes to Aunt May's grave... It doesn't say loving aunt on the grave because no one knows who Peter is. She never had mm. a nephew. Another thing is we see this, I think it's absolutely beautiful, but that blue and red suit that he has to make and 
the reason he has to make it is because he can't use the iron suit anymore or the other suit because Stark technology doesn't know, doesn't recognize Peter. Mm-hmm. He's completely on an island now. And he doesn't have family, doesn't have any friends. He's just gone. Which, yeah, is, is super tragic. You know, Doctor Strange, like, it, so people, for the, because you haven't watched it, instead of changing, you know, um, first he wanted people to forget he was Spider-Man, and now people want to forget who he was, but still remember Spider-Man. And so now no one knows who Peter Parker is. And he essentially doesn't exist for the people who are on Earth. We don't know if that means everyone in the universe or if that just like that specific, like on Earth. Yeah. And you really feel for him with his friends and with MJ, especially. Um, I yes. love the little thing at the end with MJ. So in the previous movie, um, Far From Home, he buys her like this little Black Dahlia necklace that's broken. And it's this symbolism for their relationship. I love how at the end, she's still wearing the necklace, showing some degree of memory of Peter within her. Which is really cool because the Black Dahlia necklace is also a comics reference for like a secret service agent group where with like women superheroes and whatnot. Uh, so that's also cool. But that scene was hard to watch as well because Peter chooses to sacrifice their relationship because he sees MJ's cut and, you know, recognizes, you know, it's okay. I... I love her so much that I don't need to involve myself in her life so that she's safe. Yeah, it's it's really a tragic kind of ending, but it sets him up perfectly to actually be Spider-Man, to be the main lead for the MCU that he's supposed to be. He's no longer just Iron Man's lackey. He has his Uncle Ben moment to inspire him to be a real hero. He doesn't have the Stark tech to really make him OP, and... He also has room to grow within his relationships. You can get a Gwen Stacy. You can get a, um, you can get more of the Osborne family involved if they are in the MCU. So you can get a lot more out of this character now that he has that tragic end. That and so I saw someone talk about how in the first, you know, Andrew Garfield movie, Toby movie, you get a thirty-minute origin story, and then you get like the rest of the movie. Whereas with this, now that this movie has come out, we've gotten a, what, six-hour origin story of our Spider-Man, and I feel like it's mm -hmm. more realistic. Like, it's him making these bad decisions in the first movie, him, you know, trying to figure stuff out in the second movie, and now, like, him coming to a realization of, like, what it takes. I, I saw another really good take where it's, the first one is what it physically, um, Homecoming is what it physically takes, uh, Far From Home is what it, you know, immensely takes but then no way home is what he emotionally takes to be spider-man and we now have this mm. perfect you know origin story for our peter parker i guess mcu peter parker where now he can be his own spider-man and it's great it's amazing again i'm gonna keep on saying those words over and over so get used to it <laughs> i i it just makes me excited for the next arc, for the next story of him more as the college Spider-Man. Because they mentioned how this ends his high school trilogy. You know they're going to make more movies. And I don't think they're... Well, I don't think they're going to fall victim to the escalation kind of issue. Because there is more from Spider-Man they can definitely do. Right. I'm, I'm wondering if they go and maybe do a live-action Spider-Verse thing. 
or you have other villains too, like the post scene credit, the Venom piece, a Venom piece stays. So I'm wondering if Venom is introduced into that, and we have a Tom Tom Holland versus Venom character, or like Flash gets it, and there's there's just a lot to do that they can still do with this character uh, in the MCU. So should we get into some after credits and what to expect next kind of stuff, dude? Yes, for sure. So you mentioned first the Venom after credits. So part of one question a lot of people have is why is Tom Hardy's Venom in there? Because his universe doesn't even appear to have a Spider-Man. And if it does, he doesn't appear to know him. But you get the line from Venom saying how they have a hive mind that allows them to know more across universes. So that would explain why his character's there. But it is also an important step because it's the first time they introduce the idea of the symbiote hive mind in the MCU and the first time a symbiote is actually left within the MCU. And one of the cool things about what Marvel's been doing with the MCU is they're taking not only old comics, but newer comics. For example, WandaVision was based off of the Vision story that came out in 2015 and the new Venom run just ended. So the you know, Gary talked about the hive mind. There's a possibility of maybe reintroducing Carnage and maybe doing a good job. But even more than that, the big bad villain could be Null, which is the king of, you know, Black, the the baddie that owns all the symbiotes. So there's that possibility that we could get more of that, more of a cool Venom story in the MCU. And maybe Venom does done as a villain, right? You know, like the only as much as I love the meme that is Topher Grace as Venom, he was not a good Venom villain. So and Tom Hardy is Venom, the antihero. Maybe we'll actually see Venom as a villain done well. Maybe Uh, before we talk about the other posting credit, there's some other things that I kind of want to bring up that I feel like it would be an injustice to this podcast if we didn't. Uh, So first question, Gary, which death Mm. was harder for you, Tony's or May's? Um, that's obviously Tony. I mean, like, Tom, come on, dude. But Tom Allen's reaction? Like, which one do you... Oh, like, which one? for sure, Tony. You think for so? For sure. For sure. Don't you dare besmirch, besmirch the name of Tony Stark by comparing him to Aunt May. No, 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 no. I'm not saying, like, impact on the universe. I'm saying impact on just, like, I'm looking at more of, like, acting performance and, like, implication, I guess, for, like, Tom Holland's, you know, character. Like I think for Tom Holland's character for Tom Holland's character, losing Aunt May is probably the bigger impact on him. But on the viewer, I don't think anything for a true MCU fan will ever be as impactful as Tony Stark's snap and death. True. Of pure epicness followed by absolute heartbreak. That's something that MCU's probably never ever gonna meet again, and that's okay. Yes, I, I would agree with you. I just wanted to hear you say it. Uh, (laughs) um, so one scene that I feel like we really need to bring up, it's on TikTok everywhere is, you know, after they're fighting the villains, them being Toby, Andrew, Tom, it's not going well. And then Tom's like, we're not working together as a team. I'm a part of the Avengers. And they're like, cool. What's that? (laughs) And, and then Andrew's like, I love that. Are you in a band? Like, that so that whole scene was great the banter i you know uh i wish like there was more of it but when they finally figure out what they're gonna do and they start running down that hall and then they all jump one 
each one has their own swinging style. It is great, and it's call back to like mm. the movies that they were in. Like each swing is different. Like if you, the great thing about that scene is you can watch all three of them at every single cut, and they're doing something different. And then my favorite part about that is when. Tom's character turns around and webs at both Andrew and Toby and they use his webs to swing further and propel themselves. One of the coolest things ever. And then you have the, so dope. And then you have them land in number order that the movies came out. And you know, Toby's is like iconic where he's got like on all far. Uh, you know, I can't really remember Andrew's, but then Tom's is his classic where his like arms are up ready to go for like he's like at a three point stance almost. So Yes, yeah, so the like I felt like it would have been injustice to not bring up that scene. Yeah, it it is incredible. It's great humor with the Avengers thing. Usually that would be a cheesy joke, except it's delivered perfectly by Andrew Garfield so that it's cheesy in a way that you love it. Um I also think before well, okay, I want to talk about two things more with you, dude, before we finish off the podcast. One is the Doctor Strange end credit, and two mm-hmm. is the setup for further movies in kind of the Sony yes um, universe for sure. Because that's there are some things that I want to talk about with Andrew, but I want to wait until we got there. But before we do that, I know what your answer is probably going to be, and we'll also do it when we do our. And I think it's going to be more interesting when we do the Hawkeye episode. But it's the end of 2021, literally like hours. And uh, so I want you to rank the live action Marvel movies this year from your least favorite to your favorite. And there's three of them. So you have Black Widow. Actually, there's four. Black Widow, Eternals, Shang-Chi, and No Way Home. Which, how are you ranking them? Uh, let me see. Okay. Number one, No Way Home. Number two, Shang-Chi. Those were both great. Eternals, I'm sorry, dude. It had things that were really great, but that movie was garbage. It was not that good. Um, Are you going to say Black Widow's better? I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going to, well, I'll give the caveat. As a crappy fan, I haven't even seen Black Widow because I was hurt. I heard it was so meh that I'm like, whatever, whatever. I'm not even going to bother seeing it. It's not that bad. So I'm going to put Black Widow above Eternals, even though I haven't seen it, because Eternals just, it it did not land for me, dude. I know I was gracious for it in our podcast, but it did not land. What kind of supreme being celestial is going to create another supreme being and then be like, you know what? Screw this supreme being. I'm going to make him deaf. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? That makes no sense at all whatsoever. All right, we'll get into that to another time. Whatever. <laughs> Fine. But- Shang-Chi is an easy second because yes. that one was a fantastic movie. Yes. Black Widow, I think I'm a little too harsh on, and I think I'm a little too lenient on internals. So my order, definitely No Way Home. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi is definitely probably like a top 10 Marvel movie. Shang-Chi was really, really fun. Yes. It was like just really enjoyable. Right. Uh, I'm going to say Eternals and then Black Widow. I really don't know why I did not enjoy Black Widow. I think I have to watch it again. It's just, to me, it came out way too late. Like the Black Widow origin story should have happened years ago. 
and and then you have on top of that the coming out even later because of the pandemic. So I think there's some reasons why that's why I didn't enjoy it, but it's it's still an enjoyable film. Also, I didn't like it because they ruined Taskmaster, and I freaking hate when Marvel MCU ruins comic book villains. It's the most annoying thing in the world, and they like botch the crap out of it. Sorry, that's all I'm gonna say. You got to you got to rant about Eternals. I'm ranting about Black Widow. But like, it's cool that they have a superhero that's deaf. Like that is cool. But the Celestial is a dick when they're like, I can create a supreme being, but I'm gonna make her deaf just because I'm an asshole. Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> anyway, I just we got we got we had to talk about that before we get into Doctor Strange and also the Sony universe. Uh, so okay, yeah. Which one do you want to talk about first? Um. Okay, let's let's talk some Sony Universe first. Okay. Because we know that Morbius is going to come out. We've seen the Morbius trailer. Should we give a little bit of background for people who haven't seen the Morbius trailer? Um, essentially, Morbius is this is a character that's going to be in a new film by Sony. He's a Spider-Man villain known as like basically like this vampire type character and in his trailer you see aspects of all three spider-men portrayed in his trailer and you see um you see vulture you see a picture showing the sam raimi spider-man with saying murderer you also see uh what else you see uh newspaper the daily bugle talking about rhino and black cat so there seems to be something building within the sony verse um, within the Spider-Man film. Yeah, so I'm wondering if with the the spell, you know, not only did people come into the universe, but they left. Like, maybe that's how Vulture got there. I don't know. I do think there... Well, not I do think. There has been reports that Sony is wants to bring Andrew Garfield back for Amazing Spider-Man 3, which I would love. I would be full support of that because I think he needs you know, even more redemption. He's, he'd be a great Spider-Man and it would be cool to have Tom and him going at the same time. Um, but yes, maybe. And so this is what I was thinking about. What if the reason there's that poster that says murder on it is because Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man did do, did murder someone. I was, I've been thinking of that all since I've watched the movie. He mentioned how he stopped pulling his punches. So what if in that universe he did, he finally snapped. He finally killed someone. Like, that would be an incredible change. Really quick, there's this awesome Marvel comic with and it's Spider-Man where Kingpin finds out who, you know, that Spider-Man's Peter Parker and is going to go and have Aunt May, you know, she gets, like, hit by a sniper bullet, but it, you know, is going to, like, is in this critical condition. So he goes to the prison cell that the Kingpin is in and, like, takes off his mask walks up to him and beats the ever-living shit out of the kingpin and then says, like, if she dies, I'm going to come back and kill you and I'm going to drown you with my web fluing as I shoot it into your mouth. And that's literally what he, like, it, like threatens him with and then walks away. It's absolutely brutal. So, like, if they are implying this idea of Andrew Garfield going off the rails, truly showing Spider-Man at his full power and full fury, 
there's a lot of comic depictions of this that is that are absolutely terrifying. That one being a huge one, Wilson Fisk. I mean, he takes off the mask and he's like, Spider-Man's not finding you. Peter Parker is, beats the hell out of him and threatens to fill his lungs with web fluid. Another great one is with the Superior Spider-Man line. I believe it was I believe it was that one where he, uh, Doc Ock as Spider-Man punches Lizard's jaw off and then realizes, oh wow, Peter was holding back this whole entire time. Like, Spider-Man, when he has his full power, is terrifying, and I would love to see that depicted. Right. So, I'm I'm excited for this Morbius movie. I think it's going to be better than Venom, Let There Be Carnage, because that movie was garbage. So garbage. I cannot... I don't know how else to stress that that movie was so shitty. I want my money back. That's how... Like, I, like I might just email Sony and be like, can I have my money back? That's how... Bad I'm so was. sad for you and how bad that was because you love Carnage so much. Oh, it's such a garbage movie. Oh, makes me mad. It's going to ruin my night thinking about it, so let's stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there is a lot. Like, Sony is setting up for a lot of stuff, like Craven movies coming out, and the guy who played Quicksilver in, or not Quicksilver, uh, Wanda's brother, Pietro is actually the person who got casted as Craven. So it's cool that he's getting like his own redemption of playing another, you know, Marvel character. Yeah, they're I think they're toying with the idea of a like a villain Spider-Verse. And I think that's partly why they're being so friendly with Marvel is that they know they can kind of piggyback off Marvel's success. And I'm fine with them doing that if they create great content from it. If it's not more let there be carnage that's just a complete letdown so I, I'm, I'm gonna say i have high hopes for morbius but guys this is the first time that in a marvel movie the post scene credit is a trailer for another movie and oh my gosh is that trailer incredible for doctor strange multiverse of madness i'm beyond hype for this movie yes it is so good um and one thing that I really, really, really appreciate about it is if you haven't seen What If, you're gonna wanna watch it. Like you're 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 gonna wanna watch it because it is direct, like directly taken from what happens in What If, the Do- Doctor Strange stuff, and is gonna be in Multiverse of Madness. Like the villain is Doctor Strange. You're probably sitting there thinking, how is that possible? Go watch What If, or or wait a couple weeks and listen to our What If episode. <laughs> 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 yes, they give they give a tease. Well, first of all, the environment and ambiance of it is really cool because they're leaning into the creepiness. They're really allowing Sam Raimi to get a little bit of horror vibes even into the watered down world of Disney. Yes, like when they're when he's like uh the the I guess the voiceover talking about how like you allowed this to happen and like they're they're like have like Doctor Strange is clearly having this conversation and what I've also heard that's super great is that they're doing a lot of reshoots because there's going to be even more cameos. So what if they got, you know, there's, there's two thought processes. What if they got, you know, like people who've already been in Marvel films. So the fantastic four, uh, or Hugh Jackman for X-Men or like other X-Men characters, you know, blade, you know, all these different people or the potential people who, were thought about being casted but never were like what if we saw a tom cruise iron man or um 
this isn't like, I was gonna say Nick Cage is Superman, but like you know what I mean, like that kind of thing. Like thing, <laughs> I would love that. Things that never happen, but like because it's a multiverse, like they have now the opportunity to play that character. They can, and and again, in a way that isn't cheap. It makes sense with the plot line of that just crazy calamity of things going off the rails. Um, my favorite one that I saw as a possibility, and I I hate myself for letting fan theories depict how a film goes but i think this would be dope chris evans walking up everyone being like oh my gosh it's cap and then flame on he turns into the flaming torch that would I'm like, be oh, that'd be so cool that'd be so cool and you this i think this is how they're going to introduce the x-men how they're going to introduce the fantastic four there is so much that they can do with this movie where i think you know how you're talking about spider-man no way home had a lot of hype i'm kind of thinking the hype train is going to grow significantly for this movie as well um earlier i had said there are certain things about dr strange that you know just kind of play into him being a a douchebag or like also what if in that trailer you definitely see him uh use his powers where he like absorb people because he cuts that bus in half and like has like the 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 i don't know when he absorbed the snakes like that comes out and mm-hmm. as his normal self, not his you know evil persona self. So I definitely think what if is playing a whole lot into this movie. And for sure, it at least is introducing the idea of a darker Doctor Strange, of a Doctor Strange who submits completely to the dark magic he has to dabble with. And even if it doesn't have crazy cameos, this one I think would just be incredible on its own merit. And incredible just with the duo of Doctor Strange and Scarlet Witch. Right. Like Wanda looks you know, also terrifying in this when she's sitting there meditating, hovering, and she's got her, you know, crown on and like, you got like some voodoo witchcraft magic going on that that's going to be insane. Like I'm expecting big things from Sam Raimi. Yeah. I, I'm incredibly hyped by it. I just love the imagery of it. It's, it's worth watching the movie in my opinion, just for that trailer at the end. I'd rewatch it just for the scene in that trailer at the end. I'm well, I mean, they posted it online. I mean, but you can use that as an excuse to rewatch it. Yeah, I might go see it on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, but back to Spider-Man, guys. It's just really satisfying how they did it. It's really fun how they did it. And it's a real love letter to all the previous Spider-Man works, while at the same time giving Tom Holland his own space to shine. I think they did a real great balancing act. For sure. But this before this is gonna be the last question before we wrap up this episode. Mm. Where does No Way Home stack up on all the Spider-Man films, including the live action? And we're just gonna do live action and Into the Spider Verse. Oh, okay, that's tough. You don't have to rank them all; just like top three. Top three would be Into the Spider Verse, Spider-Man Two. And then No Way Home. In that order? Like you're saying Into the Spider-Verse is your favorite? In, the, in that order, uh, I will say Into the Spider-Verse is my favorite Spider-Man film, guys. Um, I just adore that film. So that would be my top three Spider-Man films. Okay. Uh, man, for me, it goes Into the Spider-Verse, No Way Home, and then Spider-2. Mm, okay, so we're pretty similar lines. Yeah. Um, but we both agreed, like, this is up there among the Spider-Man films. Well, not even that. Like, we're going to probably do an episode where we break down that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2 trailer. Because uh, mm. I also think, like, we didn't have enough time with this episode running so long. But they totally were like, the, the spite for Spider-Man is going to be so high 
whoever's making that studio is like, you, you need a. You need <laughs> he just said the hype for Spider Man. Sorry, the hype. <laughs> the hype for Spider Man is so high. You need to put something out like now. Like that's just gotta be a thing. And so they put. You some, just have to. They put something out. It's great. Go check it out, and then come and listen to what we have to say about it. I'm I'm excited to watch that because like the loser I am, I've yet to see it and probably will right when we podcast it. <laughs> but justice where can the people find us um you can find us on twitter at podwars podcast um sometimes we're on there sometimes we're more often not but you know 2022 (laughs) new year new pod i guess maybe we'll be more active probably not but yes (laughs) i'm really selling ourselves You're, you're really selling ourselves it's it's been a hell of a year dude it's been a hell of a year yeah, someone at work was like, you ready for the new year to be, are you ready for this year to be over? I'm like, yes, this year cannot end fast enough. <laughs> and she was like, aw, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm going to go see Spider-Man. <laughs> and on that note, everyone, have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>